Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. And I'm Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. And look, the Georgia election just may be a big nail in the coffin of Donald Trump's political aspirations. After his hand-picked candidate, Herschel Walker, was defeated by Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock. So the question is, has the fever broken as members of his own party are now abandoning him. And as you know, Laura, Republicans are in the throes of a Georgia election autopsy. Tonight, they're reconsidering their opposition to mail-in voting and early voting. Maybe those practices are not so bad after all. Our panel is already giggling. Thank you. I, I heard that. The conversation. I did hear that. Plus, the controversy over a Virginia restaurant that canceled a reservation for a conservative Christian group that has lobbied against same-sex marriage, lobbied against abortion. We'll tell you what it's all about. We've got a lot to talk about tonight with former federal prosecutor Jim Walden and CNN political commentators Essie Cup and David Urban. You know, the question really, I mean, you think about it, Allison, right, is has it broken? I mean, this was a no good, terrible week or month for Donald Trump. But yesterday with Herschel Walker's loss, I mean, was that it? I think you have to parse out Republican politics political electeds, and then the the Republican base. I think Republicans in office and Republican leadership are wondering how they can win again and maybe regretting that Faustian bargain they made back in 2016 to accept all the crap that comes with Trump for very short-term gain, let's Mm. be clear. But the base, um, I think, is all in on Trump still. They're not affected by this kind of stuff it makes Trump more of a victim and a loner and, a, you know, um, a strong man uh, out on his own. You still hear people like Marjorie Taylor Greene complaining that Republicans weren't, like, helpful enough to Herschel Walker. <laughs> Not that Herschel Walker was the problem. So, um, yeah, I think you're going to see it on the Politico side. Not the base. And that's where you're going to need to see the change for real votes to change. But, David, let's take a look at the things that happened that Donald Trump was connected <laughs> It hasn't to been a good week, that's no. true. Right, it hasn't been a I'm good sure week. I'm sure there's some cool so, infograph coming up. So um, his handpicked candidate, Herschel Walker, lost, as we know, in Georgia. Um, you know, he put out that uh, thing on social media to um, terminate the Constitution. That has not gone over that well, frankly, <laughs> David. Um, he had that dinner with, you know, Ye you and know. Nick Fuentes that continues to reverberate in not a good way. And then yesterday, the Trump Organization was found guilty of this, like, 15-year tax scheme, basically. So, in other words, he's not winning legally uh. or politically, and his superpower of being a lightning rod on social media backfired. Yeah, so, so where so, do you think you know, we are? So I think, remember, I don't know which Monty Python movie it is, like, I'm not dead yet. Remember, bring out your dead. And they bring out the guy, and he's like, he's not dead yet. And that's kind of the joke. And and so I think that's where we are with Donald Trump, right? I I think, as S.E. correctly points out, the chattering class, the political establishment, needs to is sitting back saying, look, we're getting clocked in every race. When independent voters come out and say, we're breaking against you, we're not voting for Republicans, we're afraid of Trump. And everybody knows that. Everybody reads the tea leaves. And so the, the party, the chattering class say, we got to move on. But the ride or die Trump base says, we're with this guy to the end, right? And so- And in t- fact, McCarthy yeah. and McConnell yeah, are right. the problem, yeah. right? The establishment's yeah. the problem. And, 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 you, you, not being Trumpy enough. We saw like last night um, on, a, on a different network, there was an anchor saying like, where, there weren't a hundred, where were the other 49, you know, Republican senators? Mm-hmm. Why weren't they campaigning for mm-hmm. Herschel? That's not really the issue, folks, right? It's a different issue. Yeah, it's a different issue. Well, there's one thing on that infographic you showed, though, and it had to do with the Trump organization. And, you know, first of all, and we'll talk about this as well, on a day when a lot of Republicans were told to show up, not engage in, say, early voting, you had this 
verdict come out, right? So people going to the polls had that image in their mind, but it's not the Trump individuals. I mean, Alan Weisselberg is one person who was named in it, but he pleaded guilty already. He testified actually kind of favorably about what Trump did or did not know. But tell me the significance of, of the idea that the Trump organization was what was found. And, and do you think that there is the ability of the, of most people to parse that out? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I break it into two parts. One is the legal part and the other is the political part. From a legal perspective, the company's dead. It's basically going to be a defunct company. Uh, he's already started a new company in Florida to take its place. Uh, and uh, from a political perspective, to David and Essie's point, I'm not sure that that is going to move the needle, right? Uh, I have a slightly different view, which is I think the foundation of the Trump legacy is crumbling in front of our eyes, and it's going to continue to crumble as more bad news comes out and the new spe- uh, special counsel uh, for the Justice Department really digs into the well, case. Well, maybe, Jim. I mean, I can't begin to tell you how many people I have heard for six years be like, any minute now, Donald well, Trump is yeah. going to be held responsible. Get indicted. It's getting indicted. It's getting close. Any it minute now, there's going to be an investigation. And here again, the Trump organization had a 15-year tax scheme. He is the Trump organization. He was at the head of it. Nothing. Everybody has testified that nothing happened there without going through Donald Trump. But he's not held accountable once again. I, so I take your point, Allison. But what I'd say is there's blood in the water. And I think that you're starting to see the, the results of that. You're starting to see... Bolton, come out and yeah. say, I'll challenge Trump. You'll, I think you're going <laughs> to see... I'll fight him other, behind the gym. I'll, right, I'll <laughs> knife fight him. Uh, I think you're going to see more people coming out and splintering away from Trump because it's just the the dominoes are falling. And I think they're going to continue to fall. Yeah, That's exhaustion. I was going to say, Jim, to Jim's point, right? A, a, a primary in, si- in 2016 looked completely different than a primary will look like in 2024. But why? Because people won't be afraid to punch him back in the nose, right? People didn't know, I think during the primary, Republican primary in 2016, Donald Trump was brand new on the scene. He was, he was, you know, completely, no one had ever done what he had done before, right, on, on a debate stage. We've seen that act. It hasn't changed. People know how to respond, right? The first time somebody, he, he insults somebody and somebody comes back with President Trumpty Dumpty, I mean, what's going to happen, but right? Like, but I don't like, know. Like, I mean, but to his point about the base, Yes, you're right. It's, it's no longer the novelty, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that people know when they're punching back. They're still sort of doing the, wait, I'm going to punch. Does the, does the base like this? No, but if you're, jumping, if you're jumping in the race, if you're going to run, if you say, oh, man, if you're Chris Christie, if you're Mike Pence, if you're Mike Pompeo, if you're getting in the deep end of the pool, you're punching or you're going to be drowned. I'm not sure <laughs> any of those three um, are, are going to take him down um, because, again, the base is so, is so rabidly loyal. And listen... We didn't know, to Laura's point, the the novelty of how Trump would run, but we knew lots about him. I remember writing countless times in 2015 about how he didn't care about the Constitution. It was clear, based on all the things he said about Muslim bans and wanting to close the Internet. I mean, he he, he said it it for you. Right. So there's, I mean, a lot we knew that he was never going to be able to do, that he shouldn't do. We knew he was terrible. Um, And all the Republicans ended up lining up behind him. I don't know, despite everything we know now, if that calculus has completely changed. One more thing from this week that I just want to point out. Yesterday, he met with a QAnon follower. Of course. And uh, she also believes in Pizzagate. Complete that trifecta. They took a picture together. Is it possible that his judgment is getting even more impaired? Well, well, just just to be fair, they were there for a fundraiser, right? It was a at Mar-a-Lago for a fundraiser for, you know, child trafficking. And 
And, and he took probably lots of pictures that night. And, I don't and think so, they're helping. Well, I'm you're just saying, helping. no, listen, I'm just giving an explanation <laughs> of what may have happened, okay? Uh-huh. I wasn't there. So I've he seen doesn't the clips. know who she is. I, I, as, would, venture, as, I would venture to guess, just like Nick Fuentes, Donald Trump. Yeah, no, there are people, oh, however. Is, listen, is, there are people, the, however. Isn't the lesson that you ought to know who's in your picture? Well, so it, that's well, the lesson no. from the dinner. Being very generous. Look, Trump likes anyone who likes him. And it's very possible he had no idea who these people are. That's not the problem. The problem is when he is told who these people are. Right. Whether they're the white supremacists that showed up in Charlottesville or some of these neo-Nazis or the Proud Boys, he doesn't take that opportunity to disavow them wholeheartedly. Well, this was a Mike Flynn charity, right? Mike Flynn was down there helping raise oh, money. Another for great guy. Child tra- no, I'm just saying, this is, this is what he was told, I'm sure. Mike Flynn's downstairs raising money for child against child trafficking. Oh, let's get on his head. But, but, right, but when they talk about child trafficking, you know that they think it's well, Hillary Clinton. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, is uh, uh, I mean, that's, you're, yeah. you're using a generic term that anybody could get behind, but that's not exactly how they frame this. Well, one. the Pizzagate part but is But I want to bring you in this in the conversation because I think it's important to think about all that we're talking about there is a level of exhaustion, right? There is a level of all these different investigations. It's difficult to then run as the law and order president, right? Under the law and order party. If you've got these things swirling around, you talk about blood in the water. I mean, there are people who are swimming around this saying, this, these are things that will fatally undermine that particular talking point. Do you think that these are going to land in some meaningful way? And let, I mean, if there's not some quick indictments, it's been a long time. So no one outside of New York is going to care about the New York Attorney General case on the Trump Organization. But I think people are. You don't are, think so? I don't, I don't think so. Huh. But what I do think people are going to care about is, is if there is an indictment, and I believe there will be one, if there is an indictment of Donald Trump. And I think you've already seen uh, Trump 2.0 coming out and people like DeSantis. This is where I tie it back to Georgia. I think people are starting to get sick of this. I think people are getting sick of it on the left and on the right, that there's so much hyper-partisanism and there's no compromise. And I think that's going to resonate. I, yeah, I but I wouldn't would look to Ron DeSantis no, 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 compromise I'm just candidate. Saying it's, it's six years later, I right. think you're right. right. I think you're right. Okay. Still right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, friends, stick around. Um, as we mentioned, that Georgia election autopsy is underway. So we'll look at all of the things that Republicans are rethinking today. As you know, Senator Raphael Warnock won the runoff election in Georgia against Donald Trump's handpicked candidate, Herschel Walker. Now, many Republicans are starting to wonder whether the party's rejection of mail-in and early voting hurt them at the ballot box. We're back with Jim Walden, Essie Cup, and David Urban. So, David, um, for all of the uh, skepticism of early voting and mail-in voting, um, how much do you think that that uh, ruined Republicans' chances? It's ruined our chances in all these elections, right? I mean... Democrats are very smart, right? They're, uh, how they play this game, right? So they get the ballots. They can cure an absentee ballot that's not filled out correctly. Then when you get the ballots and you know who's voted, who hasn't voted, you turn them out, right? It's a great operation. Democrats have figured this out. And Republicans are so far behind. We're going to be playing catch up for a long time. Just now, you know, you see um, Newt and some others saying, yeah. yeah, even Sean Hannity saying, mm-hmm. hey, maybe we should be doing this. Today. Yeah, like, I mean, it's a little uh, late. Hello, like 20, in 2020 and 2016, before, you know, all this is happening in Pennsylvania and other states, we should have been doing it. And, 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 the, and the former president was saying, no, don't do it. It's bad. You know, absentee bad. You know, it's not doing it. And so we talked our team out of playing on a level field. Well, that, make sense. I want to play that sound, though, too, because yeah. a bit of a number of people were saying that very notion and the idea of, and the operation you call, many would just call voting, the idea of being able to cure absentee ballots and et cetera. But here, listen to what was happening on Fox about this very issue from Ron and McDaniel to 
Kellyanne Conway and beyond. Listen. What we do need is our voters need to vote early. I have said this over and over again. There were many in 2020 saying don't vote by mail, don't vote early, and we have to stop that. If you wait just to election day, it's almost you're running a race where you're starting 30 yards behind. You don't know if you have enough time to catch. The last race we just won, we won by less than 600 votes. It is that close. You want to bank as many votes as you can. Republicans in the past, we had an advantage because we would vote early. We would vote by mail and we'd put that away. We need to not just compete for votes, for ballots. We need to compete for ballots. If we don't bank ballots early, we're going to keep right, losing. But we didn't. This not, but we didn't. But we this, didn't do it in 2020 because everyone said don't vote early because that's corrupt. Not so, everyone. Well, yeah, uh, well big, a lot of people did people at the did. very top of the Republican Party. Yes, you didn't. Well, they won't name him. It's absurd. I'm sorry. I didn't no, go ahead. <laughs> it's absurd. It's like these guys, like Ted Williams had cryogenically frozen for the past four years. Like they forgot that, yeah, the guy at the top of the ticket suddenly gave you an aneurysm and told you not to do something that everyone could could see would actually help. And now they're like, it was just invented. We should try this, too. No kidding. No kidding. And let's just remind people, remember when Trump said this very thing about how it invites fraud? It wasn't that it was just a, he thought it was a sure thing that if you did early voting or vote by mail, it would lead to this. Voting by mail is wrought with uh, fraud and abuse and people don't get their ballots. When you do uh, all mail-in voting ballots, you're asking for fraud. People steal them out of mailboxes. People print them, and then they sign them, and they give them in. I think it's going to be the greatest fraud ever. I think it's going to be uh, a rigged election. They think they're going to send hundreds of millions of ballots all over the United States, and it's going to come out. You won't know the election result for weeks, months, maybe years. Get rid of this mail-in voting. And ultimately, we need same-day voting with only paper ballots. It's very simple. Same-day voting. And no, you're not imagining it was 2020 all the way through 2022 that you heard this sort of comments, right? It, maybe we should just use tablets, right? Yeah. Uh, stone tablets. I mean, I, people are sick of this kind of hypocrisy. I don't understand why other Republicans aren't calling it out. But oh, the by thing, the way, he absentee voted. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I saw that. Just want to point out, he and his family used Beautiful mail-in irony. voting. I'm just throwing Beautiful. that out there. But, 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 Jim, why do you think he was so passionate about that? Because he thought he was losing at that point? Yeah. Why was he railing against it so much? Because th- there is this perception that if you just lie, people will buy it, and then you can blame uh, that conduct. And they wanted to limit the rules. They're trying to limit Democratic voting. Their gerrymandering is another example of all of these games that are getting played. And frankly, the thing that's the most disappointing is that we can't fix this nationally. And that's because the Constitution doesn't let us. But the Constitution's not perfect. If there was one set of rules that everyone had to follow, nobody could play these kinds of games anymore. That's the part that I think. What do you mean the Constitution does not let us? What are you what are you honing in on as to why there is that hurdle? And this was the argument in the Supreme Court just today. Yep. Case case right now. The Supreme Court says state legislatures can pick how federal elections occur within their states. But if everyone had one set of rules, everyone got the same play, then there would be a level playing field and no one could decry the process being broken. We wouldn't have to wait for a week to find out what's going on in Arizona. 
We right, wouldn't but, have to wait. But, but back right. to what, you, what Donald Trump was doing there, was he basically, he was just hedging his bets. He thought that if he needed a boogeyman. He needed a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Listen, that's I, I, what that I, I, was, right? I honestly think, look, I don't, Donald Trump was one of these people, probably the last guy in his block to get an ATM, probably still wrote paper checks, right? Got to wait for the bank to open. I don't trust last the ATM. Last guy in the block <laughs> you know what I mean? ATM. <laughs> you know, but you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know these kind of people, your, your parents, right? Like, Everyone just have one? I'm not going to get, no, no, I'm not going to get an ATM card. I don't want to, I don't trust the banking system, right? Like, I'm going to wait, I'm going to write a check. No, no. No, no, no. I didn't mean a Richie Rich. I meant to get an ATM card, right? And, and so, look, there's still lots of people in America that don't believe that, you know, they believe that the voting system is rigged, that they can't trust it, that somehow the votes are being shipped to Mars. And well, then they believe altered it because he said back. it. Yeah, but not just because Donald Trump. There's a lot. There's a, there's a whole subcurrent of the population. Listen, there's no the shock system. he's not a political mastermind, okay? There's no surprise. He doesn't. He doesn't have this all worked out. He doesn't always pick great candidates. He doesn't give any of his money up to, to candidates that he wants to win. I mean, he's self-sabotaging, except it's the whole party. But, but just, just, just to pull on the thread now. that Jim started, though, to, you know, if we did have a national system that was transparent and quick, right, I think there'd be less skepticism, less less people would not would believe in the system more. There'd be more... They'd be more willing to accept absentee ballots. It was transparent. Quick. Is it the system's fault that no, a lot of Republicans no, no, also no, believe in QAnon and Pizzagate? No, no. This is, but that's a separate question. I'm talking about voting here it's, and saying it's if we not, had a transparent system, they believe system, it because he keeps saying it. But, but it's, they, but but they it's don't all believe that election denialism was on the ballot to a certain degree, right? I mean, there, and, and, and you heard, and it lost in many areas. And you did hear Herschel Walker yesterday, which I think yep. was a really was a good moment. And he talks about having faith in the system, nonetheless. This is a hand-picked endorsed candidate based on a, a theory of election denialism. Said, I'll, in part. I'll pull and the Constitution. Right. right. What was your thought? Uh, and uh, my, my point is this. It's all tied together, right? The skepticism, the money in politics, uh, the gerrymandering in the broken system all impacts quality candidates because quality candidates don't want to run in this kind of political blood sport game. And so you get terrible candidates like Herschel Walker, who had no business being on the ballot at all. And that's the choice that people had to make. Well, tell that to the Supreme Court. And we're going to be talking about that later. I mean, this is, as you said, it's this is what the crux of the arguments that they heard today. And we don't know what's going to happen, but it could change the way our electoral system works based upon how they decide to vote. Yeah. At the end of the day, Right. I mean, if people are willing to believe the lie without any evidence, nine justices won't be able to change just that. But we, we, we Have you checked out a grocery store and seen the tabloid? Weekly World News, Elvis yeah. Baby, right? Yeah. Aliens live. People believe a lot of crazy stuff. I subscribe. <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. Well, seriously, a reservation was canceled, everyone. And a restaurant refusing to serve a conservative Christian organization. Is that their right? Or are they in the legal or maybe moral wrong? We'll ask next. The American ideals of religious freedom and freedom from discrimination getting tangled up in some pretty high-profile cases recently. I mean, just this week, I talked to a plaintiff in a case before the Supreme Court that poses the question, does a graphic designer have the right to refuse to create websites celebrating same-sex weddings based on her religious beliefs and her professed First Amendment rights? Well, now the Washington Post is reporting that a restaurant in Richmond, Virginia, canceled a booking by that was made by a conservative Christian organization. The restaurant saying in a statement, quote, recently we refused service to a group that had booked an event with us after the owners of Metzger found out 
It was a group of donors to a political organization that seeks to deprive women and LGBTQ plus persons of their basic human rights in Virginia. We have always refused service to anyone for making our staff uncomfortable or unsafe. And this was the driving force behind our decision. So the conservative group, the Family Foundation, posted a response on their website entitled, We've Been Canceled Again. They ask, have you ever been denied a meal because of your beliefs? Let's discuss this. Back with us, we have Jim Walden, Essie Cup, and David Irvin. So Essie, is this just, are these two things just the inverse of each other? So a web designer who doesn't want to make a website for gay couples because it violates her religious beliefs, is this the same as restaurant waitstaff who doesn't want to serve a Christian group because they violate the waitstaff's beliefs? Well, I'm not a legal scholar, but I think the Master Cake, um, Masterpiece Cupcake Cake um, case. case but before the Supreme Court um, makes it clear those are not analogous things. But I think... Um, well, why not? Uh, well, for a, a number of reasons, because um, it is illegal to discriminate against someone based on their faith, uh, based on their race, uh-huh. based on their creed. Um, it's not maybe illegal, again, I'm not a legal scholar, to decide someone cannot come into your private business, cannot come into your private establishment. I don't know. It's a bad idea. It is a bad idea from the right or the left to tell people that based on their political beliefs, they are not welcome. You're not going to serve them, especially since they hadn't shown up yet. You can't say that your waitstaff felt unsafe (laughs) based on the idea of them, based on the fact that they might come and you are just uncomfortable by their very presence. I think that sets a terrible precedent. You can have your political feelings about everyone, but it's also this false notion of security that you are safe from ideas if you can't see them. That's not true either. I asked the question of the plaintiff in this case in the Supreme Court the other day talking about this very issue. Was she concerned about people using her as an example and saying, listen, I have, it's my own private business. I'm going, it's going to lead to a kind of slippery slope. Are you talking about the graphic designer? Let's listen to what she had to say. What is the line that distinguishes, say, you from the artist that somebody could, under the auspices of saying they're an artiste, do the same thing? Do you have those concerns? Well, I I can only speak to myself and, and I've made it clear. I work with everyone. I have clients who identify as LGBT and what I'm seeking is that the court step in to protect everyone's right to speak freely. The court has already determined these tests. Every free speech case determines whether it's speech or conduct. The law is well established to determine that. Is a message being communicated? Is it in a medium that we're used to seeing that we know? Words, texts, and graphics? That's speech. If we're talking about some macaroni and cheese dish, that's not speech. And that's an easy call for the court to make. So on that point, I mean, all macaroni and cheese aside, I mean, in thinking about it, her, her statement is that speech, right? I, I can't be compelled by a state to create speech in the form of my art and my web design. In the instance of a private restaurant that says, look, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service. Your beliefs, what you're doing politically, there's no law that says that I have to protect that as a classification. So get out of here. Mm-hmm. Is there a violation, you think, in the law that would be part of what the Supreme Court might look at ultimately as analogous? 
I, I, I do think that they are at least morally equivalent. And I think it's very difficult for people to get their minds around and get behind these kinds of very technical legal distinctions. We're lawyers, so we're used to making them, but most people aren't. I agree with SE completely. This is just bad conduct, regardless who, who does it. We live in a society where we're supposed to all be aligned at some level. Like, we've got to be able to deal with but one hold another. hold on, Jim. If you are, so let's go back to the web designer. If you don't believe in gay marriage, you think it violates your religion, you think it violates the Bible, why should you have to make a website for a gay couple's wedding? Because I believe that if you're in business, you should serve everyone equally. That's my personal belief. Now, you can draw distinctions and say, well, I don't believe in this and I don't believe in that. This is what happens. I understand. Like, I I see what's happening. But but you can always find an example. If a Nazi comes in and wants you to do a swastika, you don't want to do it and you shouldn't be forced to. I mean, you can always find an example that's so odious that you shouldn't be forced to, right, legally. I I agree with you. I'm a lawyer. If a Nazi came in and wanted me to represent him, I wouldn't want to represent him. But what I'm saying is that as a general matter, when people start saying, I'm not going to serve categories, and we make the distinction, well, is it speech? Is it conduct? Is it commercial speech? It's a very difficult line for people to draw, and it it just disappoints me. And this definitely wasn't conduct. They haven't even, they hadn't shown up yet. Well, their I conduct, just, they're saying, though, to be clear, yeah. the conduct you're talking about is that they, they're lobbying, they're, they're they're lobbying yeah. before yes, and they found And what a precedent to set right. that you have to investigate everything that everyone who's coming to your restaurant has done before to make sure you're morally okay with it. Didn't oh, you just, but hold on, Essie, didn't you just make that point about, say, Donald Trump? Everyone has to come before him, has to be vetted in some way. It's a responsible thing to do. And so, in a sense, I mean, is that something similar in the uh, wait, what? of it? What? The point is, if the idea is, it's a, it is odd to be forced to have to vet and understand who's coming before you, so you can be morally equipped to deal with what you believe. Um, you're not voting for these people. No, I, and I agree with that premise. But the point is, if you're talking about the requirement on people that it's it's odd to require somebody that if they're in your presence, they must be vetted. If you're talking about, say, Donald Trump, who is a citizen, everyday person, right? It was at Mar-a-Lago this happened, compared to somebody at a private organization, a private restaurant. Why can't they make the same sort of I, I, I'll be honest. I completely am missing the connection between Donald Trump, the former president, and wanting to make sure you know what he's doing, and customers coming into a restaurant. Well, well, I'll, be, well I'll be even clearer. Well, I've been essentially blacklisted, well, something be, I thought we probably put back oh. in the, but in the I'll, be, I'll be clear. If the crux of the issue is you ought to have control over the people who come into a private establishment and have the right to exclude who you'd like, and one of the criteria for exclusion is based on what you agree with morally or find reprehensible, then the idea of the expectation of, say, as an example, a Donald Trump being required to, in his own private institution, private restaurant, private club, having to have those sorts of criteria oh, are you met, talking about, like, Nick Fuentes? Yeah, the, Girl, the, the are you listening to me? I'm saying, yes. Didn't, you didn't say that at all. I, did, I had no idea what you were talking about. If you're well, talking about, well, okay, that, yes, of course, of course. If I were the former president, I would vet every single person that was in my presence. That's not him. We know that. I mean, he didn't do that at the White House. Everyone got an audience if they liked him. But, I mean, to say that you should vet every customer that's coming into your business so that you feel like you are morally okay with everything they've done in their private life, you can't possibly think that that's a good bar to set. I don't think yeah. it's the bar. Yeah. I, I want you to come in this Eve. I don't think it's the bar. The point is, if we're talking about, to your point, the moral equivalence of the expectation of being able to have the right to exclude or invite 
based on the criteria you set within your private establishments. Doesn't that require, to a certain extent, that people can be proactive about vetting? I'm not agreeing with, the, with what they've done or disagreeing. I'm just saying, if we're saying societally that people ought to have the right and autonomy to do so, where does that line, right. line okay. get drawn? Okay. David, so I was going to say two things real, real quickly. Um, the first point is, why would you want to patronize someone who hates you, right? So I don't understand. If you're if you're a gay couple, why would you want to go to a designer who doesn't want to design for gay couples? Well, you didn't know it, that. But, they didn't know Okay, that. but it, I'm saying, like, so in, in the future, I think this will all kind of vet itself, will kind of work itself out, right, in terms of people who are known. They won't, they just won't be, they won't be going there. I, mean, and I don't as know far if you can just leave it up to the market, like you're saying. Well, like, I think the, the marketplace market will work. And, and the second part is, like, to, 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 to answer, go to where Laura's talking about and what Jim, pull on Jim, thread that Jim was talking about, if I walk into a restaurant, is someone going to type up on Open Secrets and see who I donated to and say, like, well, Urban donated to this candidate. It's maybe absurd. we're not gonna, maybe we're not going to serve him tonight, right? Or he donated to this charity. I don't like that charity. I mean, it's just nutty to SC's point. Like, you know, you don't have a right to not be offended in life. But that just that's not a there's no constitutional right not to be offended. But there, well, there's one thing that I think we, we we'd be remiss to uh, ignore. These are companies, right? They're creatures of the state, right? They're chartered in the state. They get tax breaks from the state. They pay less taxes generally than individuals. If you are essentially a creature of the state, maybe we should have clear rules that say you can ban people because they're bad in your establishment, Mm -hmm. because they break the law, because they cause violence. But you can't ban people Otherwise, wouldn't that be a good law? Well, D.C., no, because, which is not a state, right. but it does that. Virginia, ironically, is not a state that actually has that notion that you cannot ban someone based on or remove or have to protect the political. Remember, Sarah yeah. Huckabee Sanders yeah, was sure. in a Virginia yeah. establishment when she was asked to leave. You have other figures. It actually prompted, remember, the whole issue with Maxine Waters. And yeah. it prompted yeah, these right. discussions yeah. about what you could do to draw the line. And that's well. terrible. Yep. I, I mean, legal or illegal is almost beside the point. If we are a decent society. That behavior is terrible. Shouting people out of restaurants is terrible. Following Kristen Sediment in the bathroom, right? Well, yeah. And Kirsten Nielsen, I mean, it it happened to more than one person. Um, You can disagree with Trump and his policies. You can disagree with Republicans. But shouting people out of establishments, uh, you know, unleashing a mob on people, making people feel actually unsafe, as opposed to servers who said they felt unsafe when they hadn't even come yet. Yeah. Because of their uh, contribution. I just think it's a, it's a terrible yeah. precedent. Hmm. I only chase people out of a restaurant if they stiff me on a tip. <laughs> and I think that's Who fine. would do that? Or, well, Who would do thank that? Thank you. That's justified. Um, all right. Meanwhile, Buckingham Palace <laughs> bracing themselves because Harry and Meghan are about to drop their controversial documentary. What's in there? Ooh. We'll talk oh, about boy. it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're just a few hours away from getting a closer look into the private life of Prince Harry and Meghan. Volume one of the couple's six-part docu-series, Harry and Meghan, is set to hit Netflix basically tonight at 3 a.m. Eastern. And then volume two of this series, which will be the remaining three episodes, will be released on Thursday. We're not going to bed tonight. No, we're not. No, No, we're pulling it all night. Just telling you. In the latest trailer for the series, the couple offer their side of the story, of what life was like for them within the royal family, saying only they knew the full truth. Listen. Family. You know, there's leaking, but there's also planting of stories. There was a war against Meghan to suit other people's agendas. It's about hatred. It's about race. It's a dirty game. 
pain and suffering of women marrying into this institution, this feeding frenzy. I realized they're never going to protect you. I was terrified. I didn't want history to repeat itself. No one knows the full truth. We know the full truth. Oh, well, we're about to know the full truth, I guess. Joining us now, One World Executive Editor, Kieran Mayo, Essie Cup, and David Urban are also back with us. And I can tell that David wants to talk about this all He's been harumphing through the entire trailer. (laughs) He's pretending. (laughs) I promise you, I will be the one human being not staying up till three. (laughs) But you were harumphing. I will not watch this. I will not pay one lick of attention. Listen, these people, right, this couple and said, we are out of the royal family. We're going to live a private life. We don't want to be involved in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. And they have, they're just, this is everything that they said they're trying to run from and hide from. It, it's so fake. It's so BS. Meghan Markle, I didn't know who he was when we went on a date. Give me a break. She knew who he was. It was, a, said, it, was a, it was a blind date matchup, oh, it's all. It, it's all. Oh, am so, I telling you I know too much already? Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm like, <laughs> no, they had this. She was there. I, 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 just, I find it like <clears throat> it's just a complete joke. If they want to hide, go hide. Go go stay in your house in the Hollywood Hills and be rich and have dinner with your friends. But don't cry me a river about, um, you know, their, their tough life. Well, Karen, I'm glad that David started this by saying he didn't care. Yeah, well, let me ask you, Karen, because I have to say, I mean, it's, al- it's, al- it's almost a luxury to say, you know, go run and hide and not be a human being and live any longer. But they're trying to share their story because, frankly, it's been written for them. And they not have input. to own the narrative. And I don't know that they ever said they wanted to have a private life. I don't think they ever imagined in a trillion years that life would ever be private. But I do believe that they wanted a modicum of respect and they wanted to be able to, again, tell the story the way they see it happen. And, you know, part of what I'm imagining is going to come, first of all, beyond the T, and yes, I will be up, (laughs) is just that, you know, these are two relatively young people who are setting out in life in this impossibly unique way, right? There's absolutely no one else under the sun who understands their specific experience. And yet, they're human beings. And all they've been saying the entire time is, can you respect our humanity? And with regard to Megan, you know, I think that the clip says it all. It's about race. It's mm. about race. And she was targeted, in your, especially for that reason, as opposed to the women who are marrying into the institution. That yes. was actually a, really the clear picture. Yes. But I, I mean, mean, do you think that she was targeted, uh, I mean, she was clearly targeted by the paparazzi. But, but isn't it, it possible, is it is it possible mm-hmm. that two things are true? The royal family, in their stiff upper lip way, felt that they were welcoming, thought they were welcoming, and she felt marginalized. Isn't it possible that they're both true? I mean, Absolutely, other- but isn't it possible that there's even more nuance than that, that they were welcoming and yet also somehow subversively doing things against her. But why? What would, how would that serve them? How would it serve the royal family to, to ruin their beloved Harry's wife? I mean, why? why? Oh, I... Well, isn't his book called Spare? I, yeah. I mean, just on one point. It may not be... Well, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for the book, too. But, I, you know, I, I don't think that it's as simple as just protecting Harry's wife or loving Harry's wife. I think there's an institution at play. And an institution involves hundreds and hundreds of years of history and a lot of power and a lot of decision making that's happening that's beyond just Harry's welfare. So could they conspire against Meghan Markle, black Meghan Markle? 
I mean, that's that, obviously that was her her feeling. You, you don't think this is a, I, I a remote possibility? I mean, I'm not I'm not a royal watcher. I don't. Know neither all am this I. Stuff. I don't quite know frankly. any of it, right? Yeah. But but I, I I mean, I tend to agree with Allison. Look, I, I don't know anything um, uh, uh, about the about this couple. I don't you know don't begrudge them their peace and their 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 narrative and they get to do it all. But I just think that the whole, you know, like the, the you know, we want to be, again, I, this is my interpretation. It they want to be private people. They, they left the monarch, they, you know, they But when they did abdicated. they say they, they wanted to away. be private people? Oh, listen, that's why I think they, they left. Want, they they didn't want to be harassed by the well, monarchy. Well, well, they don't want to be harassed by the monarchy. Oh, well, then on. go and go and go to Australia, go to the United States, oh. go someplace and live your they life. Are, but they're not, but, but they're harassed by the monarchy. Why would you come out with a book that says you're poking the monarchy? Oh. You're doing exactly everything you don't want to be harassed by. Well, I mean, there are very few institutions on this planet I am less interested in than the royals. Um, and that is our right as Americans. We fought for that. We won that right. Um, but I, and I have no interest in protecting the royals mm-hmm. and their legacy, mm-hmm. which um, is in need of an examination. But I did watch all three hours of the Oprah sit down with Meghan Markle exactly. and Harry because I thought, well, I'm going to learn something new. And did I? I think we all learned a little something new about that experience for her. And I was so grateful that she talked about mental health. Yes. That was incredibly courageous. It meant a lot to me, and I hope a lot of other people too. And so I was proud of her, and I felt bad for her. I'm, I'm not sure that a second go at it, with all this exposure and fanfare... After this amount of time. After this amount of time is... I don't think they want to be private, but they do want to get past the monar- monarchy, or do they? Well, I mean, all, I seem to want to keep trafficking... And this the, the cachet. Full truth. Full yes. truth. Yes. You know, I've been around a lot of famous people in my mm-hmm. celebrity coverage years. And it's rare that folks in the public eye like that get to the full truth. That's a freeing. That's but, a, but whose truth? His. The right, world that matters. Monarchy's not going to tell their truth. They, They're not going to have to but sit they down. Told that, hey, look, the monarchy's the had four, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred years to tell their truth. Yeah. Give Megan and Harry, like, the, their six hours. Yep. Well, isn't that the point? I mean, that's why, I, first of all, I, I will admit it and I don't care. I, I do watch all mm-hmm. that. I watched the royal weddings. I made fresh scones. You are not alone. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. Yeah. I was watching it the way I watch reality shows as well. Sure. And you know with that? I know that there is the truth, the truth, and then what mm-hmm. actually it is. And so if the Oprah mm-hmm. interview is one truth and the monarchy story is another, maybe this will give me the rest of the story. Because frankly, when I watched it, I it was confirming what I thought her experience would be Absolutely. in an institution like the monarchy. Yeah. It really was. Well, this will certainly be interesting, and I look forward to watching it, too, and then we'll all have this conversation yeah. again. We'll circle back. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's hope not. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Okay, I'll watch it. With you, David Urban. <laughs> no, no chance. <laughs> look, will they or won't they? The question is, big players in the January 6th committee are talking about whether they'll refer crimes to the DOJ. We'll tell you what they're saying and what it really means next. January 6th committee chairman Benny Thompson says they hope to release their final report and vote publicly on criminal referrals on December 21st. Committee member Adam Schiff telling Anderson Cooper this tonight. I think that Congress, when it sees evidence of criminality, particularly affecting the institution of Congress, uh, has responsibility. Here there was an attack on Congress. Uh, So to me, that uh, goes right to the heart of our responsibilities. Um, And and so we are weighing that. Uh, We're going to be announcing our decision, I think, with our report very soon. 
Uh, and I think there's also a high degree of consensus among our members. Okay, so Laura, explain how this works. If on the 21st they vote yes for yeah. a criminal referral, who does it go to? What's the next step? Well, it depends on who it is, right? Because if it's, if it's about Donald Trump, then you have a special counsel that was already put in place in the DOJ because they know people are going to say, wait a second, he is a candidate. You are in charge, President Biden, of the executive branch, which includes DOJ. So hold on. The special counsel would decide about Donald Trump, not Merrick Garland, you're saying? I think it, no, it'd be special counsel if it's Donald Trump. However, if it's sort of Trump adjacent or not related to Well, definitely. There are certain, certainly people different. who, like, defied subpoenas yeah. that might get criminal. That's, that's a different scenario. But in terms of, I think, Trump specifically, which is a special counsel appointed to oversee all those things, that rings differently to the American public about the idea of, prosecuting your political rival or that talking point. Having said that, though, I mean, first of all, December 21st is virtually the 11th hour in Congress to be able to see this report. We're all waiting to see what it actually says and the the filling of the gaps. Like, I haven't heard from Jenny Thomas, right? Mm -hmm. We haven't heard what she had to say. We haven't heard what Kellyanne Conway testified to or others. There's going to be a lot more there. And I'm curious how they will plan to present it in some way. Report. Right. Mm -hmm. So up to this date, it's all been the televised videos and televised actual hearings. But now it'll be this Hundreds report. and hundreds of page report. Not as having as the whole docu-series on Meghan and Harry, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no one's leaning in the same way. Great point. But still. Look, we've got a coup attempt abroad. Conspiracy theorists and white supremacists hanging around with Trump. Anti-Semitism and hate so much on the rise the White House is actually holding a summit. Look at the extremist threat at home and abroad after this. Right-wing extremism isn't just a threat here in the U.S., it's a global problem. In Germany, 25 people were arrested today for allegedly attempting to overthrow the government. Officials say the group was inspired by QAnon ideology and conspiracy theories. And in North Carolina, sources tell CNN that investigators are zeroing in on extremism as a possible motive in the attack on that electri those electrical substations. Mm. They left more than 40,000 people without power. Law enforcement sources say that police have recovered nearly two dozen shell casings from a high-powered rifle at the scene. Let's bring in CNN anchor John Berman. We also have Max Boot here, senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, and CNN political commentator David Urban is still here. Max, so this isn't just a U.S. cancer, though we, you know, obviously feel it here, the extremism. Why is it worldwide? What's happened? What has made the globe go crazy with extremism? Well, there's certainly a lot of factors, including globalization, including changes in the information economy, including immigration. But I think the biggest thing, Allison, is simply the spread of social media. And I was really struck by the fact that these conspirators in Germany, one of the things that, that they were, uh, that, that got them all worked up was QAnon. Now, you know, I remember the good old days when America was exporting Elvis Presley and blue jeans and, and the Declaration of Independence. But now we're also exporting this internet insanity. And we invented QAnon. Yeah, we invented, but it's now spreading around the world. And at the same, you see, for example, now, you know, Elon Musk is allowing neo-Nazis and all sorts of nuts onto Twitter. So it's going to spread even more rapidly. This is a real danger. We're all part of a single information ecosystem around the world. And there's a lot of craziness out there which can inspire people to violence. As we saw, by the way, the guy who attacked Paul Pelosi, 
he was also inspired by QAnon. So this is a very dangerous conspiracy theory. And it's just one of many which is circulating out there uh, in social media. Well, there's the theory, right? And then there's the imagery. January 6th, for example, the idea of violence, the idea of people watching that there's a possibility of being able to infiltrate in some way, mm -hmm. to take over and some may have the world captivated by what you're doing. There is this sort of com complementary notion here, John, uh, between what is being exposed online and then what you're seeing. And the U.S. is now part of that example in the worst way. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't sit here in the U.S. and see what happened in Germany and think it's somehow disconnected right. from what's going on here now. What they were talking about there was some kind of plot to take over the parliament. Excuse me, we had thousands of people run into the U.S. Capitol two years ago. There were plans to attack the electricity grid in Germany. What happened this week in the United States? And I'll even take it one step further. Which concerns you more? Having Prince Heinrich XIII of Royce connected to whatever uprising was being planned there, or a former president of the United States calling for the termination of the U.S. Constitution. You can make a case that what's happened here in some ways is even more serious than what's happened over there. And I just want to say, and, and Allison and I have disagreed with this back when, before she, you know, left me uh, on a show. <laughs> I know that it's easy to, there's a tendency to blame social media for the rise of extremism. But extremism has existed for a long time before social media. The Germans managed extremism quite well without social media at one point. It's not necessary for this to spread. The ideas exist and are fueled by people who are making choices, in some cases, evil choices. But, John, do you think, what do you think is at the root of it? Why are there times when extremism blossoms? If it's not social media, what's at the root? It's a great question. I think it's cyclical. I think there's an ebb and flow historically. I think part of it has to do with economic hardship. The pandemic, I think, is a key instigator of that. But I think there's a concerted effort among some in the political sphere, in the U.S. and other places, to try to undermine systems now. And there's a political expediency by some in the political system to glom onto that or try to tap into it. Or it's, it comes out of the shadows when the leadership emboldens them to say, it's okay. Sure. You can feel, it's almost like, like, like that scene from, you know, Wizard of Oz. You can come out now. You can come out now. It's not that evil any longer. You can come out now. You can come out now. You can now say, have these viewpoints in there. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was laughing about the movie reference again. But, um, to, it's to a hell of a movie, David. I, I know. It's a great movie. To Max's point, I, look, I agree. Social media, the world's become much smaller, right? Um, it really has shrunk. And, 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 you know, you ask about the cycles you know, I thought, was thinking about this before the show and, and kind of just scratched the surface a little bit. But if you think about the weather underground in the 70s, right, there's a, there's a real movement. To, they, they, they bombed buildings. They bombed the U.S. Capitol. They were trying to overthrow the U.S. government. That didn't spread as wildly and as far because we didn't have the Internet back mm -hmm. in the 70s. But there were, listen, make no mistake about it, that's ebbs and flows, right? The Black Panther movement, the, there, there were lots and lots of movements in the 70s because of, of, of a perception of inequality in America, and I think maybe if that's what's happening now, just on a different version, people feel there's an inequality in America in some way. And so that gives rise to these different groups. Like, look, the Klan has been around for a while. The Klan is, at the, 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 is the base of a lot of this white nationalist ideology. And so it's not really, it's not new. This is none of it's really new. It's just recycled over and over and spread quicker because yeah. of the Internet. Well, it definitely goes through phases. And as David was saying, in the 60s and 70s, you had a lot of left-wing terrorism, the Weather Underground, various, the Bader meinhof gang in Germany, many other groups around the world. Then, of course, in more recent decades, uh, around the year 2000, uh, you saw the rise of Islamist terrorism. And, of course, we saw about 20 years of Islamist terrorism. But now, in the last few years, you are really seeing the rise of 
right-wing terrorism. That is now the main threat in the United States and in many other countries in the West. And that's fueled by some of these same factors of social media, but also the fact that there is a leadership, there is a network out there. And of course, these hatreds were not invented you know, today with, with the rise of social media, but social media does allow them to disseminate much more rapidly. And this is kind of the moment of right-wing political violence. And, and that's what we have to deal with right now. Well, the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, is uh, attempting to do that. So he is holding um, basically a summit, I guess, um, about anti-Semitism. So here's what he has to say. There's an epidemic of hate facing our country. We're seeing a rapid rise in anti-Semitic rhetoric and acts. Let me be clear. Words matter. People are no longer saying the quiet parts out loud. They are literally screaming them. Judaism isn't defined by how much you go to temple or how often you celebrate, celebrate traditions. It's who we are as a people. It's our identity. It's my identity. And I'm in pain right now. Interesting, John, to see him use his role like this. Yeah, that was a big moment, I think, for for the second gentleman to come out. It's a big moment for, uh, I think, for a lot of American Jews who are witnessing what's going on now, many of whom are completely secular and not religious in any way. And I've talked about this. You don't have to go to temple to notice what's happening right now because it's staring you right in the face. It's so glaring uh, and so loud. And... And I think one of the things that I think is important to remember here, the the phrase anti-Semitism sometimes sanitizes what's happening. And a lot of the people who are at this conference talking about this have used phrases like this before. There's Dr. Rachel Fish who studies this, says we should just call it for what it is, which is Jew hatred. Mm -hmm. If we referred to this as Jew hatred instead of anti-Semitism, people might stand up straight or sit up straight a little bit and listen more. It's not some theoretical thing because the things that are being spouted in public by people with huge megaphones right now are simply appalling. And, and I'd even say, like, to you know, look to take an even more finer look at this, college campuses today in America, go look at Berkeley, big movement, Zionists, against Zionists, BDS movement is run amok on college campuses, and, and tolerance, you know, for folks who want to support the state of Israel is, is not even allowed on college campuses. So you can't even have that discussion. And, and when it begins there, kids grow up. Right? They learn. They learn what they they learn in college, and it needs to be addressed at college levels and in the government. And called out. I, I applaud the first gentleman for doing it. It's uh, needs to be called out for what it is. Yeah. I mean, there's no question there's anti-Semitism on both the left and the right. And I like to say, as a Jew myself, I feel like Jews bring the world together. We 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 ins- we, we have anti-Semitism on both sides. But I think there is a difference here that. Uh, that while there is anti-Semitism on the left, the right-wing variety is the one that usually turns to violence in the United States, like the uh, gunman who invaded the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh, for example. So that's, that's, a different, uh, that's a different level of threat from people who are demonizing the state of Israel, which is also a problem, but it's, it's a different kind but, of problem. But Max, don't you believe they feed into one, one feeds into another, and one, one allows another to propagate? Do you believe on college campuses you should be prohibited from having Zionist organizations at Berkeley? Doesn't that, don't you think that allows other, you know, other folks to kind of flourish? No, of course. You, yeah. you, should, you should obviously not be prohibiting Zionist organizations. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So, and as democracy is facing threats from extremists at home and abroad, there's a case before the Supreme Court that we need to talk about. It could reshape how elections work in this country. 
So the big question is, who has the final say over U.S. elections? The Supreme Court hearing arguments today about a North Carolina case that could really reshape American democracy. In fact, for more than three hours, lawyers arguing over whether state legislatures should have free reign to determine rules for federal elections or whether state constitutions and courts should factor in. So the state legislators relying on the controversial independent state legislature theory that Ellie's going to explain to us uh, has that Trump supporters cited okay, this during the 2020 election challenges. Some justices today appeared skeptical of this and the liberal justices warning of consequences if there are no checks on a state legislature. I think what might strike a person is that uh, this is a proposal that gets rid of the normal checks and balances. Legislators, we all know, have their own self-interest. They want to get reelected. And so there are countless times when they have incentives to suppress votes. Okay, so we're back with John Berman, also joining us as CNN senior legal analyst Ellie Honig, as well as David Urban. Okay, Ellie, make sense of all of this for us. Okay, I have good news. Good. We're going to make independent state legislature theory interesting. Please. It's really important, and it is one of the great generators of absurd hypotheticals. This is when, like, the dancing girls come in and start, like, rolling <laughs> up signs. Because that's probably that's the only right. way you're going to make it interesting. Exactly. No, Law made fun. Watch us. No. Laura and I, Dave, will do it. I believe okay. in Ellie. So, the Constitution essentially says it is up to each state's legislature to decide how they're going to run their elections. Mm -hmm. And so the question now is, does that mean state legislatures can do anything in the world that they want? Or can the state courts come in and say, no, that's crazy. And that brings us to the hypotheticals. What if a state legislature passed a law saying, what we're going to do is we're going to get everyone together at midfield of the football stadium and flip a coin. And whoever wins gets to pick the electors. What if they said, we're going to have a sprint. Democrats, you pick your fastest runner. Republicans, you pick your fastest runner. First one. Could the state Supreme Court come in and say, no, that's unconstitutional. There's no due process in that. True adherence, people who believe in this theory say, sure, whatever the legislature wants to do is good to go. The liberal justices and people arguing say, no, of course the governor can veto it. Of course the state Supreme Court and the federal courts can reverse it. And you can readily see the connection there to what Donald Trump was trying to get his people to do in 2020. You, bravo. That was exciting. That was good. What, what does the Constitution say? Right? Like, that's, I I mean, that's an important if part to read. you'd like me to do a dramatic reading. There we go. The times, Old English, please. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. So, so that's, therein lies the rub. A little thing called yeah. the Constitution, which everybody's in a kerfuffle about Donald Trump wanting to get rid of. Yeah. Now, yeah. now we're, we're talking about ripping apart. But it's also about what the bigger issue, too, is the checks and balances, right? The idea of being able to make sure that what a legislative act does is not going to run afoul to the other aspects of constitutional law and what we want. And, of course, the, the courts say, interestingly enough, you know, it seemed as though they were not buying into the theory of, that, you're talking, that you're talking about, which is surprising, Ellie, because why take this case? It was obscure okay. a few years ago. And now this is, now has the platform of the Supreme Court. So this theory goes back a ways. This has been sort of a pet project of legal conservatives, legitimate thought experiment it started out as, but now it's coming into fruition. There's a numbers game here. You need four justices to take a case. Of course, you need five for a majority. They did get the four votes, but the way it played out yesterday in the arguments, or today, earlier today, was really interesting because you have the three liberal justices, you know where they're going. You have Gorsuch, Alito, and Thomas. They want the whole 
just the legislature. And so the swing here, the three swing, Kavanaugh, Roberts, and and Coney Barrett. Let's listen to her. Let's listen to uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett and what some of the questions she was asking, John. I was just going to ask, is your formalistic test just a way of trying to deal with our precedent, or are you rooting that in the Constitution itself? Because you do have a problem with explaining why these procedural limitations are okay, but substantive limitations are not. Ellie, this is the one you want? None of that made any sense. So I'm going to translate. I'm going to translate. translate. Yes. It means, do we bring common sense into play, right? right? Or do we just say, it's the the Constitution says legislature. Doesn't legislature also mean they can be checked by the other branches? And that's sort of the biggest picture view of what's going on here and why it's important. Because the Constitution, it turns out, is, is swell. They did a really nice job. Like, great job, guys. Tell that to Donald Trump. But it was written a long time ago. And they don't cover everything. And they leave a lot of room for interpretation. To David's point, David, if I asked you, can you show me where in the Constitution it says that we have to hold elections for people to choose the president of the United States? It doesn't. There's nowhere that guarantees the right of human beings in the United States we, to, vote, to vote for president. Right. It's like not in the Constitution. Yeah. But we've come to accept presidential elections as part of it, which is what Amy Comey Barrett is getting at right there. Well, maybe you need a little bit of both here and not just what's in these actual sentences. That's interesting. So you heard her swinginess I in there. I'm going to be very okay. careful with how I answer that. Next yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> Pass. I think anyone who can use the word swell as cool as you did just yeah. now deserves the last word, but I'll give it to you, Ellie. Yeah, I mean, look, you can see the stakes here, right? If it's the case that state legislatures can just do whatever they can, that changes everything about how we choose and our leaders. And that's what the North Carolina Republicans yeah. are hoping for, yes? That's, that's the, why the they brought it. The practical aspects of this yeah. are yeah. huge, yeah. right, at the end of the day. For real. Okay, gentlemen, thank you. Um, All right, now to this. Five women coming forward this week and filing a lawsuit against Bill Cosby, accusing him of sexual assault and abuse from decades ago. We're going to speak to their lawyer about how this can work, what evidence they have, and how this brand new New York State law factors into all of this. Five women, including two actresses who worked on The Cosby Show, filed a lawsuit against Bill Cosby this week, accusing him of sexual assault and abuse. They're suing under a new law in New York which grants adult survivors of sexual abuse a one-year window to sue their alleged abusers, even if the statute of limitations has expired. A spokesman for Cosby calls the lawsuit, quote, frivolous, saying in a statement, quote, as we have always stated, and now America sees that this isn't about justice for victims of alleged sexual assault, but it's all about money. We believe that the courts, as well as the court of public opinion, will follow the rules and law and believe Mr. Cosby and believe Mr. Cosby of these alleged accusations. Mr. Cosby continues to vehemently deny all allegations waged against him and looks forward to defending himself in court. Joining us now is Jordan Merson. He's the lawyer representing the five women accusing Cosby. Jordan, thank you so much for being here. So I understand that this new law in New York suddenly gives these women the opportunity to try to hold Bill Cosby accountable for what they say he did in sexually assaulting them. But some of their um, accusations go back decades. So three of the women's cases go back to the 1980s. One goes back to the 1960s. How do you plan to present evidence to prove your case? Thanks for having me. But yeah, I mean, 
the Adult Survivors Act followed on the heels of the Child Victims Act, which was the New York law that allowed uh, victims of child sexual abuse to sue as recently as a year or two ago as a result of sexual abuse that took place many decades ago. So we have quite a bit of experience in litigating cases for events that took place years ago. And, you know, we we look forward to prosecuting these cases. Wait, We're but just very help, confident. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying about the, the um, Children's <laughs> Sex Act, and that makes perfect sense. But just, I mean, I, is it fair to say that there's no physical evidence and that you will be basing it on what? What these women told other people contemporaneously? I mean, how... It must be challenging if you're talking about something that happened in the 1960s with people's memories as well as some people not being around. Well, I think you'd be surprised. I mean, first of all, um, these women have all come forward. Their testimony is evidence. Um, There have been prior cases filed against Mr. Cosby. Um, Some of his prior statements will be evidence against him. And... um, there are, you know, there's a whole discovery process that we will go through and be requesting uh, documentary evidence as well as uh, verbal evidence in the form of deposition testimony. So, you know, and you have, and you have five women coming forward who are filing lawsuits. And you also have, as, as you're well aware, a lot of other women who have come forward and made similar allegations against Mr. Cosby. Yeah. So we think there is a lot of evidence in this case. Oh, yeah. CNN uh, knows of 50, 50 women who have come forward to make very, very similar accusations. These women didn't know each other, most of them, but they have eerily similar stories about what they say Bill Cosby did. Also, uh, interestingly, Jordan, you're not just suing Bill Cosby, you're suing NBC as well as basically the studios uh, that produced the Cosby show. So here's what you say in the complaint. Defendants, NBC Universal Media, LLC, Kaufman Astoria Studios, and the Carsey Warner Company, condoned and encouraged Bill Cosby's sexual abuse, assault, and or battery of women, including on company premises, by doing nothing to stop it, despite knowledge of his serial sexual abuse of women, and by providing Bill Cosby with staff and facilities to groom and sexually abuse women. So, Jordan, how did this work? I mean, how did it work that these studios or that NBC aided in this? Well, as, as set forth in the complaint, and we go into pretty explicit detail. New York is a not- New York State is a notice pleading uh, has a notice pleading requirement, and we had very specific facts in the complaint that establish what we know at this point, even without the benefit of discovery. Um, when someone like Frank Scotty comes forward and provided interviews and a statement about what occurred uh, during the Cosby Show, so and we also have again. What, what our clients described to us as what took place on the Cosby show, that this was, as we allege in the complaint, going on right in front of their eyes, where Mr. Cosby would, you know, have these women in his, in his dressing room. And, you know, um, at least one of our clients re- repeated and made clear, as we say in the complaint, did not want to go. And no one helped her. Um, You just heard Cosby's lawyer say this is not about sexual assault. It's all about the money. What's your response? Well, I mean, it's an unfortunate comment by by his side. Um, Not not unexpected, but um, these women all want justice. Um, The Adult Survivors Act gives them the opportunity to pursue their claims in court. 
And, you know, they're all looking for, for, their, for their day in court. And they're looking forward. I mean, yesterday um, when we filed the lawsuit was a bittersweet day for them all. Some of them have waited a very long time to be able to pursue justice. And they now have that opportunity. So um, we, we disagree with, with the statements made by Mr. Cosby's side. And, and we, too, look forward to, to proceeding with this case in court. Jordan Merson, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate talking to you. Thank you for having me. So fascinating, Allison. I mean, just the idea of delayed reporting more broadly and how it's judged, the why now, the motivations that people assigned to it. But this new law thing. is just changing everything. It I mean, is. It, they didn't even have an opportunity before this new law. It was, it was inconceivable, as we all remember. Right. There was a court of public opinion, right, about the fact that it was Bill Cosby, and there's a court of law that says you can't, which is why, it's, I mean, Ellie, I want to bring you in here, because think about this. I mean, we're bringing also in CNN correspondent um, Jean Casares, who's here, and back with us, Ellie Honig and Kiernot Mayo as well. So important, because let's just unpack a little bit for us, Ellie, this law as to why... This does not go against some of the issues that Allison raised, the idea of due process considerations, the idea of statute of limitations. Why can this be possible? So the general idea of a statute of limitations in criminal law or civil law, and here we're talking civil side, is that you only have a certain amount of time in which to bring a lawsuit, interests of fairness, interests of finality. But this has been carved out by New York State as an exception. And the reason is exactly what you were talking about, Allison, and I think the lawyer was just talking about, it is so difficult for survivors, victims of sexual assault and violence to come forward. Even now, we've gotten much better at this now, but even now it's extraordinarily difficult. Now, put yourself back in the mindset in the 80s and 70s, and I'm certainly old enough to remember how Bill Cosby was regarded back then. He had a 100% popular approval rating. And imagine being a young woman back then and having this alleged incident happen. It's, it's, almost, it's virtually unthinkable to come forward. And so the New York State Legislature has said, we're going to give this brief window where you can revive these old cases. But as Allison was, was asking the lawyer, it's more difficult. It's really, really hard to prove allegations that go back to the 80s or the 60s. And just to clear, this is not just Bill Cosby specific on these laws, right? right? This is part of it. You've reported extensively, Gene, on this. Tell us what you learned. You know, I want to say one thing before we get into Cosby, which is the whole focus of this, right? But I was just in the courtroom for Kevin Spacey's civil mm-hmm. case here in New York, federal court. Decades old, it was a young actor at the time that said he was molested by mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey was acquitted. Mm-hmm. But I saw firsthand how memories fade. Witnesses can't be found. Evidence is not there. Even the accuser talked about a separate bedroom, a separate living room, and then the defense gets out the floor plan of Kevin Spacey's apartment. There was no separate bedroom, and he was acquitted. So... It, 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 the heart and the soul of this law is is wonderful, but there are limitations that people have to realize. Now on to Bill Cosby. You know, Allison, you and I and CNN, we have been covering Bill Cosby and these suits for years. But it really all, I think, came to the forefront in 2005 when Andrea Constand, a former Temple University employee, came forward to law enforcement saying Bill Cosby molested me sexually assaulted me in his home. There was a criminal investigation. Bruce Castor was the prosecutor. He found there was insufficient evidence. And so no criminal charges were found at all. So it really was dormant. There was a civil case Andrea Constant brought. She got over $3 million from Bill Cosby. It became public later on. 
But then in 2014 and 2015, women just started coming out. There was a tidal wave. It was like one after the other. And it was because of the comedian Hannibal Burris, remember? He talked about Bill Cosby. And so then it was just everywhere. Little did we know that criminal investigation in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, was resurrected at that time. And I'm in the newsroom at CNN, December of 2015, and we hear Bill Cosby is going to be charged with felonies involving sexual assault. We got to Montgomery County right outside of Philadelphia. And I remember him walking into the courtroom, the Bill Cosby that we know, to face three charges of felony indecent assault. There was a trial. It was a mistrial. They retried it again the next year, which would have been 2018. He was convicted of all counts. But there was a caveat here. It's a very big issue. And I have to bring this up because Bruce Castor, in a pretrial hearing, had taken the stand saying, I made a promise to Bill Cosby. I would never prosecute him. Yeah. Well, he didn't tell any of his fellow prosecutors in the office. There was nothing in writing. There was there was he told one defense attorney and he was deceased at that. Right. Point. But still, yeah. it got overturned. And because he made that promise. Right. And the yeah. and Bill Cosby had relied on that promise to then talk in deposition, mm-hmm. which prompted that civil suit. But I want to bring you in here, Karen, because, mm-hmm. you know, the as to your point. This is this was Bill Cosby. Yeah, I, I almost said this is this was and just the idea of this is this was Bill Cosby. You know, you have followed this and just the idea of the 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 gravitas sure. of that moment and what this would be like. Well, I was the editor in chief of Ebony magazine at the time, and we did uh, a really um, confrontational cover where we had the Cosby Show on the cover underneath shattered glass. And at that point in time in 2015, it people were really wrestling with this idea of two Bill Cosby's. They just couldn't square it. But 50, some say 60, 62 women later, I think there's no question that there's something that must be squared. And, and, you know, I'm no legal expert at all, but the thing that I can say, regardless of the direction that this lawsuit goes in, is that speaking of heart and soul, every time women are able to come forth, every time a new batch of women are empowered, and not just in the Cosby case, but in any case where you're talking about a powerful man abusing or allegedly abusing women, um, when they feel empowered, when they find their voice, when they find their cause, that 12-month window that says, girl, now, it opens up the door for God knows how many other women to tell their stories, to actually maybe close the gap in how long it takes to report. Because you're talking about stories of assault that happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Things happen in 2022 and women don't report, right? So the idea that this is happening, I think, is a net positive, no matter how it it, um, ends. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I mean, from all the women that we've spoken to, uh, it was empowering, for them and in some many ways healing to be able to talk about it. And your cover on Ebony there, it was ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. It was ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. That is such a powerful cover. And I know that, as you said, people were wrestling with the image of, are we ready to abandon Bill Cosby? But now people see him so differently. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, you guys. Gene Casares, thank you so much. Ellie and Kiernan, stay with us. Up next, two women are suing Apple, alleging their exes are using the company's air tags to stalk them and harass them. We'll discuss the merits of the case next.
Well, now two women have filed a class action suit against Apple, alleging the company's AirTags are dangerous products that can be used by stalkers. Apple declined to comment on the lawsuit tonight, but referred us to a statement from February on steps they've taken to avoid unwanted tracking with AirTags. John Berman, Ellie Honig, and Kierna Mayo are all back with us. John, is it just time to get rid of all technology? (laughs) You and I have had this debate also, as you know, and I don't like it. I don't like that this thing is tracking me at all times. times. I don't like that an AirTag is probably on me somewhere right now. I don't like any of it. Okay. Glad glad we had this talk. Me too. (laughs) Okay. Look, so I didn't know what to make of the story. What would I first, the Washington Post did a really interesting take on this, and it went into how these air tags are being used to track people. And in the Post story, they make the case. What happens is it's like watching a, a spy TV show from the 1970s where people put like a bug, a <laughs> yep. tracker yes. on your vehicle. Yes. You drop an air tag into, into someone's bag or purse at a bar, and then you can follow them. Their pockets, their clothing, it's awful. I get why, I, I get it. I get why that's creepy, and I get why that's a concern. But the flip side of that is what you're really talking about is a creep. I mean, you're talking about a creepy behavior, and you, you start to wonder, well, this person would find a way. The Post has a version of it where they put an air tag on someone's wheel well of their car with duct tape. I'm like, well, wait a second here. Is that really about the air tag, or is this about a stalker here? And I'm not quite sure what Apple's liability exactly is in all of yeah, this. Yeah, I'm dubious about the lawsuit. I mean, let, let first things first. The bad guy's the stalker, right? Mm-hmm. If you do that, you're, you're very likely committing a crime. You could be sued. What's the problem with suing a stalker? They have no money. So what do people do? They look for Apple, which has all the money in the world. And the thing is, any technology can be used for evil. I mean, right? Virtually anything. That's a regular cell To Allison's yes. point. But, but the, the question really is, is this device sort of designed right. or did Apple turn a blind eye towards knowing that it was being misused in some way? And Maybe there will be evidence of that in the discovery, but my instinct is these strike me as well-intended devices so you could track your phone, maybe track your kids with, you know, I do, I do track my kids. I know you I, do. I had a bad experience. I'm going to tell you, I, I one day had a, I was watching my kids come home from school and, you know, I was, I was you watching were tracking them, them remotely. I was tracking them remotely and one air tag went one direction oh. and the other the other. And I was like, wait a second. Go get my kids. It was like, I, I could not understand why they were going. I had my husband go. I was going to call the police. It turned out that a teacher had found an air tag and put it in a different kid's bag. Oh, but wow. Laura Coates was getting ready to do something. Very, <laughs> See? But, but, yeah, to I, make sure. I, I think the air tags are going to be used by two groups. Moms and stalkers. <laughs> like, it's kind of... I'm a stalking <laughs> parents. Hey, parents. Hey, Laura Coates and inside stalkers. the concentric circles. Stalking parents. I mean, what, yes. uh, like, it's pretty obvious. I don't see how we're going to get around the bad that's going to come out of this. Technically, you could track someone now without an air tag. Right. So we don't need it. Right, right so let's, not, let's do away with it. Right? I mean, but, but I mean, yeah, at right? the same token, Definitely. though, I mean, here's the thing. When we say it's almost like this is going to happen anyway, so forget about it, there are things companies ought to be able to do. Mm-hmm. If you have the technology to try to protect, to allow it to happen, I mean, in terms of having the actual device, safeguards can be put in place. And oftentimes we have in the law the ability to take some remedial measures mm-hmm. to ensure the safety of a product. It doesn't have to be inevitable. At the same token, the, the larger question is this balance between the good of technology mm-hmm. and the usefulness 
and the ills of it. Social media is an example. I mean, even with the post-Dobbs decision, you had women who were saying, all right, ladies, because we don't know how they're going to prosecute behavior, oh, yeah. take away fertility apps. Absolutely. Take away anything that tracks to see when you've had a menstrual cycle or when you may be ovulating right. because it could be used against you. So technology used again against women. Well, that's where, you know, in terms of what Apple is responsible for here. And look, I'm no lawyer, nor am I a tech designer, but it does seem to me that Apple could design something if they haven't already where you could find out if within 10 feet of where you're standing, there is one of these you know, these tags. So, you know, they've if got something like that. They do. Right. They've got something and like if, that. If that's what they have, then that seems to be a way around this. Well, let us hope because women, again, will be the ones. Well, to, wait a minute. How do you, uh, how do you know if somebody slipped a tag into your purse? Not that, you but see, you can detect sort of any detection. tag. What I'm saying right. is not just, if your phone can detect any tag, mm-hmm. even someone else's tag, yeah. if see? it's around you. Yep, see. Yeah. My phone screen. says that to me all the time. But so let's say, let's just, let's just, <laughs> Allison, if your screen <laughs> says it all the time, you it might want to look into that. But let's just follow this out. So, so we all have tags, and let's say all of us have tags, all nine million New Yorkers. So every time you're somewhere, your thing is beeping to say, okay, this so I'm not a tech designer. Yeah, like, <laughs> I didn't do a good, good, good job fixing it, but I was trying. Well, this could, I mean, honestly, Apple's got an answer to it, though. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a concern, and people have a lot of misgivings about what technology really looks like. And, and, and I'm not why. sure it helped your mental health to have you see what you saw with your kids not going in the right Well, direction. but how much does well, it help you in general to know to where know they, where they oh, are? Oh, no, for me, lot, right? I mean, let's not get into my neuroses and, right. what, <laughs> and what makes me feel right. better. Like We've only got 45 we, seconds. We, we don't have much time. Yeah. But in reality, I mean, I'm always grappling with that yeah. balancing mm-hmm. test as a mom. I don't have my kids have phones, but I let them have the watch so I can get to them. Honestly, you also have in the era, unfortunately, of, of shootings, I want my kids to be able to reach me during the yeah. day if they need to. And the idea of just thinking about how, you know, we make choices all the time as women, as people in, the, in this society about how to keep ourselves safe. And I think we don't think enough about the things that are supposed to keep us mm-hmm. helped hurt. Yeah. All right. Well, consider yourself now warned. Not yeah. sure what you're going to do about it, but consider yourself warned. <laughs> Thank you guys all. News there. you can't use. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> all right. And we'll be right back. Thanks so much for watching tonight. And before we go, here's a look at CNN's celebration of real heroes. To Anderson Cooper and Kelly Ripa to find out who will be the 2022 Hero of the Year. CNN's Heroes All-Star Tribute begins Sunday at 8 p.m. Sunday. It's the time of year to be inspired and honor some of humanity's best. We have found homes for almost 3,000 dogs. Our community engagement center used to be the community drug house. I want my grandchildren to have it better than what I have it today. It has always wanted to serve other people. Human suffering has no borders. People are people, and love is love. Join Anderson Cooper and Kelly Ripa live as they present the 2022 Hero of the Year. Join me in honoring CNN Hero of the Year. CNN Heroes, an all-star tribute, Sunday at 8.
I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.